welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Hello, goblins and ghouls. The witching hour is upon us, and boy do I have a collection of stories fitting for that hour. Now here at the studio, we are in the midst of a snowstorm. At one point this week, they were predicting over 30 inches, but luckily so far, we've only received three or four. But a little snow and a global pandemic will not keep the Monsters Among Us episodes from dropping. So buckle up, clear your mind, and dim the lights. Because Luella from Ohio has something she would like to share. Yes, hi. My name is Luella, and calling from uh, Cleveland, Ohio. But the time that I'm speaking about was maybe around the early 70s, I believe, because I had to be around about maybe no older than 10. Anyway, it happened in Crawfordville, Georgia. My grandparents and things were from the area of Crawfordville, Georgia, Union Point, Georgia, things like that. So we went down there, my mother and uncles and I, we all went down for a visit. We were coming back home. It was late at night. It was it was summertime. It was summertime because, you know, it's when you go on your family trips and things in the summer. So it was, it was summertime. It was nighttime, and we were coming back home. We were coming back from Crawfordville, which is down in the country, coming back up to Atlanta. And I was asleep. I... I, I, I this story has stayed with me for a long time, so I know it was like it, it had to be true because I still remember every little detail. I remember waking up. At that time, they had the old station wagon, and I was in the back seat of the station wagon. And I woke up just at the time to uh, see this lady on the side of the road. She was very pale, not so pale that I couldn't see her, but she was uh, very pale, had big, beautiful blue eyes. They were they were really huge. That. He was like alien type, but they were, they were, you know, very big. Long hair, just stringy hair, just like blowing. And it was blowing like to one side. I think it was like blowing to like to the right, to the, just blowing to one side of her. And her dress was blowing, uh, you know, and like, like, like the wind was blowing. I couldn't make out of her, you know, feet or anything like that, hands. But I do remember seeing this lady on the side of the road. Long hair, like I said, pale, paleness, and uh, just, just standing there with, uh, you know, and I and I said uh, to the people in the car, my mother and I said, hey, do you all see that lady? And whoever it was, someone told me to go back to sleep. And, you know, I said, okay, but after I, I said you guys see that lady, I, I don't know if I turned or whatever, but when I, I just remember that was it, you know, I turned back around and I didn't see her anymore. And uh, I, I don't know if I went back to sleep or not. I, I don't think I did. I just, you know, kept saying to myself that I know I saw someone and nobody else saw her. And, you know, they say you were asleep and you woke up, but I wasn't in a dream. I was woke and I know what I saw, you know. So um, that was, I usually try to look up things like that and, you know, see if anything else had, anybody else saw anything around about those times. And I know they can happen down there in the woods, like in the country and things like that. But then that kind of got me interested in paranormal activity as well. So that's my story. Thanks for letting me call in and uh, keep up the uh, good work. I love listening to the stories. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Luella. Now, the mention of the hitchhiking ghost in the state of Ohio reminded me of one of the most haunted places in the Buckeye State. But this place probably isn't what you have in mind. The first place they wanted me to talk about is an incident that occurs, not occurred, occurs in the village of Bantam, 
where State Route 125 and 222 meet, east of uh, the Starlight Drive-In and between Amelia and Bethel. This is known as Dead Man's Curve. It's been known as that for many, many years. When the road was first built in 1831, the uh, construction of the road was uh, very poorly made in this particular spot, and it was very easy for wagons and carriages, horses carrying people, to actually slip down or roll over the hillside. Many people died there. What goes on there today is nothing new. It, it goes way back. The road was a two-lane highway until 1968 when the road was widened between Amelia and Bethel into four lanes. And at a ribbon cutting there at 222 at what is today known as Dead Man's Curve, it was proclaimed the end of Dead Man's Curve. It was a straightaway there now. It was four lanes. Just about a month later, an accident was there immediately in which five people were killed in two cars. And since the night of that accident, there's been a new ploy or a new, I don't know what you would call, a new figure has uh, shown up on the scene, something known as the Faceless Hitchhiker. Now I bet that got your attention. This Faceless Hitchhiker has been reported many times since the reopening of the road. Stories like that of this unfortunate woman. I had a friend of mine, uh, oh, I guess it was maybe uh, 10, 15 years ago. She was a nurse at uh, Children's Hospital downtown. She never wanted to go through that intersection at that time of night. And uh, she, because it was Christmas Eve, or New Year's Eve night, she decided that she would stay. They were shorthanded. She comes home and there was a detour on one of the roads she normally would take and uh, she went up to the intersection in a station wagon. She was going through a divorce at the time and uh, she had borrowed her parents' car and something stepped out or this faceless hitchhiker stepped out on the road in front of her. Uh, she uh, was scared to death. She had gotten up to the stoplight and she decided to gun it and hopefully this thing would jump out of the way. She ends up hitting the thing and goes over it with the front and back set of tires. And as she made the turn onto 222, she was horrified, realizing she might have killed someone herself. So she decided she was going to check and see. And as she's putting uh, her uh, backup lights on, she's approaching where she had hit this thing, this figure, this being. And it had gotten up already and was just within a few feet of her car putting its leg up as if it was going to put its foot up on the back of the bumper and reaching up to the luggage rack to pull itself up on the car. Now both of those clips come courtesy of Dark Figure Productions. A few of the other descriptions on this video make it sound more like a Sasquatch-type creature than a ghostly apparition. But a dark figure lunging from the forest at your vehicle, no matter what it is, can be blood-curdling. So thank you again, Luella. And consider yourself lucky that your phantom hitchhiker at least had a face. Now keeping roots in the state of Ohio, I met the following gentleman at last year's Crypticon. He told me a story that I knew I had to share with you guys. Well, thankfully, Tracy called in and he shared this experience. Hi, Derek. My name is Tracy. We talked a few weeks ago at Crypticon, and I um, told you I called in my story. Sorry it took so long. This was about six years ago. I was leaving my house for work. It's five in the morning. Before I did, I turned off all lights, 
and it's pitch black in the house and it's dark outside. It's around winter time. And I always checked out the back to make sure nothing was creeping around there, like, you know, people or dogs or anything, coyotes. I looked up in the trees and about 10, 15 feet in the trees, my neighbor's house next to me, the only way I could describe it was it was like an orb about the size of a basketball, dirty yellow, and it was lightly pulsating. And that the very first second, I think maybe the moon, but it wasn't, it was in the tree. And underneath it were like tendrils, short tendrils. And it almost looked like it was underwater, the way it floated. And I instantly realized it was strange. So I looked in my house real quick, glanced around. There were no lights on, no reflections, nothing. My cell phone was in my coat pocket. So I looked back out, and it was still there, just slowly pulsating. And the tendrils were moving like a jellyfish underwater, you could say, but they were short. And it just slowly faded out. And it wasn't the moon. It wasn't a reflection. To be honest with you, I have no idea what it was. And I appreciate you letting me call in. And thank you very much. Goodbye. Thank you, Tracy. Believe it or not, jellyfish UFOs are not all that uncommon. Now, many believe these are actually alive and somehow biological and not an alien craft from another galaxy. I feel like these can be lumped in with these sky snakes that we've been hearing about from time to time, or as they call them in Mexico, Ibanas. Now, I've linked to a few videos showing objects in the sky that resemble jellyfish in tonight's show notes. So thank you again, Tracy, and I hope to see you next time I make the trip to Crypticon. Now, real quick, before I hit up our next caller, a reminder that we have new totes and t-shirts in the shop, and we'll be getting new vinyl stickers and hats very soon as well. So visit the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop to pick up some merch today. And just a little FYI, we are only shipping out once, maybe twice a week right now in our attempt to eliminate as many trips to the post office as possible. But don't worry, your items will make it out shortly. And Derek Hawthorne, don't worry, buddy. I didn't forget about you. And while I'm at it, a big thanks to Jamie Murray and Greg Johnson for submitting the artwork for both of those pieces. Now, I've received a lot of requests for calls like this next one. Strange Encounters from Central America. Well, this one's probably going to make some folks very happy. The following is Daisy's Call out of Southern California. Hi, Derek. My name is Daisy, and I'm from Highland, California. So today I have a story that's not my story. It's actually my mother's, and she told me this over the holidays. It's two incidents. The first one took place, she said, about summertime. This was in 1984 when she was a teenager, and it was in Guadalajara, Mexico, she said that she was going to go for a run with her friend and the place where they would run was this dirt field by their house. And she said that this typical morning, she didn't feel like waiting for her friend, so she started walking on her own to the field. And she said that she sat on the brick wall to wait for her. And as she sat down, she noticed this black horse was just running in circles around the field 
And she said she didn't think much of it until the horse, you know, kind of circled by her. I swear to you, I don't think she's lying. She was being very honest when she told me this. She even looked scared. And she said that this horse was super dark, like blacker than black. And she said he had bright red eyes and his legs were weird. She said that it had a goat leg and a chicken leg. And she said that she was just staring at it. And I guess her friend had seen it as well as she was walking by. And yeah, I don't know what they did after that. She just said that that's one of the things that she remembers that was super frightening to her. I don't know what to make of it. Maybe you have any ideas. Also, another thing that happened to her the same year, but this was later on at the end of the year in December, she said that um, for Christmas Eve, everybody in their block would have like a bonfire. And she said this Christmas Eve, she was one of the last people out there. And my grandpa kept calling her to go in and she's like, okay, hold on, hold on. So as she and her cousin were getting ready to pick up their stuff, they see this thing coming down the street. And she said, and this is how she described it, that it was a carriage and a horse and that there was this lady just floating on top of it with the black veil over her face. And she said that the thing that they noticed was that this carriage was not on the ground, that it was like floating down the street. Also, too, she freaked out. They went inside. And I guess the next day, um, all of the townspeople were talking about it. Oh, did you see the floating carriage? So... I don't know. She said that she thought it was um, death coming or something like that. But yeah, those are the two stories I have for you today. Thank you for the podcast, and I hope to hear new episodes. Goodbye. Thanks a lot, Daisy. I can't shake the image of a horse with one goat's leg and one chicken's leg. How does that work exactly? And the mention of the ghostly coach and horses sounds like one of the reports that David Flora and I are investigating for our upcoming documentary, Shadows in the Desert, My Strangeness, and the Borrego Triangle. Well, this is where I would normally ask you to head over to Kickstarter and donate today. But, as it turns out, today was the last day to do so. The great news is, we actually hit our goal. So at some point in 2021, depending on when this whole self-quarantine thing is over, we'll present to you the full documentary. So a huge, huge thank you to everyone that has taken the time to donate. Thank you guys. And thank you again, Daisy, for sharing your mother's experience. Maybe your entry will help shake loose a couple of others. Now speaking of that documentary, we are still looking for first-hand encounters from that area. Salton Sea, Anza Borrego State Park, Julian, California. We want anything from that general area. And while we're at it, we'll take literally any submission from around the world. So simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or you can visit the website and click on the Report Your Sightings tab for more submission options. Now with health being the top of everyone's concern... It's more obvious now than ever that our health is literally everything. So let's hope that you don't learn that the hard way, like our next nameless submitter. 
Hey, I'd like to share my uh, story. I'm not sure if you'd call it paranormal or coincidence, but here's what happened to me. I used to live in Asia. I'm in Texas now and originally from South Dakota, but um, I lived in China for a while. And we would get these winter break. We'd get three or four weeks in January, February. And most of the people would go to Southeast Asia because the weather was, was nice and warm. So a lot of people would go to Vietnam or Thailand. And this particular break, uh, me and my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, went to Thailand. And I'd been there like six times. So I'm, I was very experienced in the area. And, you know, within a week or so of being there, uh, I developed... Uh, a really crazy fever, and in particular, symptoms that I'd never had before, never had since, and I've never heard of anyone having these, but I had these sores all over my mouth. I couldn't eat anything. I couldn't drink anything if it was cold. I couldn't swallow it. Uh, it couldn't touch my gums. If it was warmer than body temperature, I couldn't drink it. To eat anything, I would have to pre-smash the food and drop it in the back of my throat where I could attempt to swallow it. Even, even that was unbelievably painful. And alongside this, I had a fever, like an unbelievably you know, high fever. My wife ended up going to the doctor for me uh, and getting uh, some antibiotics. And after about two or three days, my fever subsided and I had enough energy to go to the internet cafe nearby and you know see what was going on with my friends and so on i was still in pretty bad shape walked into the internet cafe and checked my email and there was a message from uh, my twin sister now you know people always ask like do you have some sort of deep connection with your twin sister you know can you feel her emotions and stuff i've never i've never had anything like that we're very different except maybe our senses of humor or something like that and i hadn't seen her for six months to a year before that well, I got a message from her. She's saying, how's Thailand? I hope you're having a good time. I have an unbelievable feeling. These sores in my mouth. I can't eat anything. I don't know what it is. It's super strange. Let me know how you can see you later. And so my sister, at the exact same time, had the same symptoms. And neither of us have... Uh, have had that uh, before or so. I don't know what you call that. I don't know if you, you call it paranormal or synchronicity, super strange coincidence, but um, that's my story. Love the podcast and keep it going. Bye-bye. Thank you, caller. Now, ironically, my grandmother contracted something similar. She never recovered. According to her doctors, it was a rare disorder that I cannot pronounce that only affects a handful of Americans. Now, of course, I'm not claiming that that's what our caller suffered from. But how about the fact that he and his twin sister seem to be suffering from the same ailment at the same time in two separate places? Now, I've said this many a times, but I am no medical doctor. But I can't help but think that this is well beyond a simple coincidence. Especially if the two hadn't seen each other in quite some time. Now, like a lot of weird things in this world, there may be a logical explanation to all this. I simply just can't see what it is. But if you can, give me a ring. I'd really like to know what's going on here. Thank you again, caller, for sharing that story. I'm happy to hear that you guys fully recovered. Now a quick tip before we move on. If you're not engaging on our social media pages, you are missing out. Not only are these places a great source of additional info, but you're also missing out on live videos that I'm taking part in each and every week, especially 
during this quarantine. So let Addie, Warren, Tony, Sarah, John, and Josh expand your mind and show you some memes. Alright, so our next caller of the evening leaves us with no information. So I'll just say the following was submitted anonymously. Hey Derek, this is a quick story. So I've heard a few people calling in on UFO and alien related calls and I just wanted to call this one in. So ever since I was a kid, I've been like super scared of UFOs and aliens and everything, um, which I think a lot of kids are. I kind of always had nightmares of being abducted and seeing UFOs and that kind of thing, but I never really thought much of it until I started reading about the people that had things that they had found like on x-rays and stuff. And I thought, wow, that's like pretty crazy, you know, because you can kind of pass it off as a psychological phenomenon until you get to that kind of physical evidence. But again, I just kind of brushed it off until earlier this year, I rode on an airplane for the first time. And in addition to riding on an airplane for the first time, I went through airport security for the first time. And on my outgoing flight, I went through the metal detector and they flagged me down and said, okay, hold on, stop. We have to pat you down. And so I'm looking up at the little screen there that shows like the little map of the human body and it's flagged something on my left ankle. I think, okay, that's weird. You know, I don't have any pins or anything. And I've never had any medical implants or anything. I'm not wearing any jewelry, but they pat me down and say, okay, you're good. Send me on my way. And I kind of asked one of them about it, you know, like, is that, you know, is there, do I have to get a weird iron buildup in my foot? And they said, oh, no, sometimes that just happens. It's probably just a fluke. And I said, all right, cool. I won't worry about it. Send me on my way. On my returning flight home, I go through a scanner and same thing. It flags my left ankle, different set of clothes. Like this time I'm wearing shorts. The time before I was wearing jeans. Different set of clothes, no jewelry. Again, I don't have any pins or anything in my foot. So I thought that was pretty strange. I've never had x-rays on that foot or anything before, but now I'm kind of tempted to go and see if there's just a piece of metal lodged in my foot for some reason. But it just got me thinking about all the people that have had tiny pieces of metal removed from their body that they didn't put in there. Uh, love the show. Hope you can use this story. And uh, I'll be calling back someday. Bye. Thank you, caller. And please excuse me while I go get this weird thing under the skin of my elbow looked at. Now, I certainly can't say that what triggered a sensor at the TSA checkpoint was alien in nature, but it is awfully particular that the same area was flagged twice. Maybe it's time for our caller to get an x-ray. Either way, thank you again for sharing. Now, our next entry is sort of a three-for-one deal, and it's brought to you by JL in the state of Mississippi. Hi, Derek. This is JL from Mississippi. I've been listening to your podcast for about a month now, and though I haven't listened to the show in its entirety, I've noticed that there are very few calls from Mississippi. I've been fascinated by folklore and legends and cryptids and the paranormal since I was very little, so your show's concept means a, a great deal to me. Now, I wrote my stories down beforehand as my mind tends to wander, so I'll likely run over the time limit, but I'll call back if need be. Um, I want to share with you three short tales centering around my close family. They are sort of linked together by time and distance. Now, these all take place near the towns of Lake and Forest, Mississippi, which are close towns about an hour east of Jackson. To frame these with some context, my favorite cryptid has always been Bigfoot, which I think I got from my dad. He's always been the same way. And when I was about 10 years old, I found out why. 
he told a story that he'd never even told my mom. It takes place between 1977 and 1979 in Lake Mississippi. My dad was riding a three-wheeled ATV through the plowed back 40 of family land. The field is woods now, and it's full of hills and low points and a swamp bottom. He was in his early 20s at the time. He drove to the top of a small hill within the field so he could overlook the land. Um, It was late evening, but he could still see very clearly. This location was about one mile from the nearest public road, which angled back behind the field. I don't know how far off it was when he first noticed it, but he at some point noticed a shape that was gray in color moving diagonally across the field. He watched it moving for a little while, trying to make out what it could be. At first, he thought it might be, you know, a wayward cow, but this field was reserved for farming soybeans. And it was moving at a speed that one would expect of a human, except this was plowed ground. And if you've ever tried to walk across plowed ground, you know that sand is probably easier. He watched it walk for about a quarter of a mile before it came pretty close. It hadn't seemed to notice him, and it was moving at an angle across the field, so it wasn't coming straight at him. He said it was bipedal with what had to be a very wide gate as it walked this field like someone would walk down a sidewalk and it walked with its arms swinging at its sides. When it got to a distance of about 100 yards away, my dad panicked. He tried to start the three-wheeler, but it had a pull start and it wouldn't work at first. He kept trying until he got the engine started, but by that time, he said he didn't dare look back up. He knew the sound of the engine had grabbed things' attention and it would be much closer now. My dad said that he couldn't stand the thought of looking the thing in the face. So he booked it out of there, but the road which led home angled behind the field in the direction that the creature was headed. He said he punched the gas and prayed that he wouldn't meet the thing as it crossed, but thankfully he didn't. And I've since heard my aunt and my mama talk about the day when he got home. They said he was white as a ghost and they thought he'd seen a bear. When I asked my dad, you know, considering all possibilities. Could it have been a guy in a gorilla suit? Dad said, there's no way someone would be out there in the back 40 in a suit a mile away from the road in an area known for its avid gun owners. My second story is my own experience. Not a very clear experience, but it's not far from where my dad's encounter took place. This was in late December of 2010. I was coming home on the back roads from community college between Forest and Lake Mississippi. It was about 10.30 p.m. I'd been in the astronomy club and we'd been out late. I was tired, but I wasn't sleepy. At the halfway point about between my college and my house, there's two bridges in a thickly wooded area bordering a deep swamp. There are no houses. I was kind of daydreaming. Uh, Just as I got across the second bridge, I instinctively kind of veered my car to the left a bit to avoid hitting something on the right side of the road. I only veered. I didn't swerve because I was kind of lost in thought, but I could make out a shape and what looked to be kind of like an appendage with mossy-like hair. When I veered my car, it kind of jerked me back to reality, and I realized that whatever it was was kind of coming onto the road. What I saw of it, I only saw in my peripheral vision, but it was much taller than my car. It wasn't black, maybe a medium brown, tan, or maybe even gray in color. The shape I could make out seemed to have been a hairy, upright creature. 
The mossy-like hair seemed to have been sticking out farther than the rest of it at an angle, and it seemed to me to be the hair that dangled from the creature's forearm and elbow as it shielded its eyes from my car light. I didn't see anything in my rear view, and I wasn't totally convinced that what I saw was a Sasquatch. When I got home, I sketched out a rough image of what I saw from my dad, and he was convinced it was Bigfoot. He asked me to reach out to my older brother, who also has a Sasquatch obsession. Two days later, I traveled with my older brother and my mom to the site. Uh, we looked around, even went under the bridge, but we found no prints, nothing. My last story takes place the following spring, which is in 2011. Again, traveling home from college at night, about eight or nine. I got home and my dad's weirdly standing in the driveway looking around in the dark. I got out and made a joke about how I thought, you know, he was Bigfoot for a second. And he looked at me with the most terrified face and he said, I think I just heard him. I was shocked, but, you know, I kind of asked him what was going on. And then I said, well, call for him, you know, meaning the house that Bigfoot researchers sometimes use. So Daddy cupped his hands and let out a really good Bigfoot howl. Within 10 seconds, something answered. It was deep, much deeper than any dog or coyote, but it wasn't guttural like gorillas. I don't want to really say it was ape-like, but I can't think of anything else that would have made a howl like that. Whatever it was was massive. No human could have projected so deep of a howl while avoiding guttural sounds and projecting so far. I've heard a lot of recorded Bigfoot howls, but this was somehow deeper. It was like a moaning-like sound, much deeper than a wolf howl think gorilla size or bigger. It almost sounded as if a giant ghost with a really low voice was howling with a woo sound. At first, the howl came from the southeast side of Untuckalo Creek, about half a mile from my driveway. About 15 seconds later, it howled again, and we realized that it had moved at least a quarter of a mile to the road, which passes over Untuckalo Creek. A few seconds later, another howl. It had crossed the road and was now to the northeast of the road, which is on our side of the road. It had to have traveled half a mile in less than 30 seconds. It was coming back into the deep woods into Untuckalo Swamp. At this point, we ran inside to get my mom, and then we all ran out the back door of the house. We heard the howling one last time, which had to be about a mile from where I heard it first howl. It was almost to the swamp at that point, so the howl was more faint. That was the only howl that my mom heard. She was pretty skeptical until that night, and now she considers Bigfoot a real thing. Those are my stories. Notice the connection to deep swamps in each of these stories. Most of the really deep swamps in my area are inaccessible, like most of the year, due to mosquitoes and snakes. And some of them, like Untuckalo, run so deep that I doubt any human has ventured back there in a long time. We used to go some when I was little. It's a very eerie place, but we couldn't fully access most of the swamp. I should also mention that my older brother has had conversations with some of the old timers in our community uh, about my dad's encounter. My brother refuses to use any names, but he has told us that Daddy was not the only person to see something strange roaming around Lake Mississippi in the late 1970s. Anyway, those are my stories. Thank you for all your amazing work, Derek. The show really helps establish a sense of community for those of us that have had strange encounters. Take care. Thank you, J.L. Now, Mississippi is one of those states that you wouldn't expect to hear a Bigfoot report out of. 
but many don't realize just how remote and secluded some of these swamps can be. I think JL made that point quite perfectly. Now, despite the fact that Mississippi only has 23 official reports on the BFRO website, one of the most interesting Bigfoot videos, at least in my humble opinion, was actually captured in the Magnolia State. On October 28th of 2013, a man named Josh Highcliffe uploaded a video. His description reads, I was out hunting hogs, just sitting in part of the swamp. I have heard them before. It's not too far from the road. I was wearing hunting camo and just sitting, dead still, waiting for it to get dark, because that's when the hogs come out. I hear a noise behind the tree I was sitting on. I thought it was the hogs. When I got around, I could not believe my own eyes. There was this huge black thing, crouched by a dead cypress about 50 yards away. I thought it was a hog, but saw these big shoulders and a head, upright with hands. It looked like it was digging out the stump. My first instinct was to turn and run. I didn't even think about shooting it. Then, I know no one will believe me, but it was like everything slowed down. I was scared. I took out my iPhone and started videotaping it. I guess I pushed the record button twice because it stopped blinking red, but I pushed it again. Now the video appears to show a dark black or brown hominid ripping strips of bark off the tree in the middle of a swamp. In typical Sasquatch fashion, the image is shaky and partially obscured by vegetation. But that does not steal away from the believability of the clip. Well, there's not really any audio to share, so I encourage you to go to the show notes or simply search I Think I Saw a Skunk Ape, Please Help, in YouTube. Give the video a watch. Now, I actually spoke with Josh in the days after his encounter. And I gotta say, nothing he told me made me think he was fabricating the story. Now, since I can't show you the video, I can do the next best thing and share another call from the state of Mississippi. This one, however, requires a bit of an introduction. I received this call nearly a year ago from a man named Mac in Mississippi. The call quality was pretty bad, rendering the call basically useless. But the story was so intense that I just had to share. So last week, I played a cleaned-up version of Max Call over on Patreon. Monsters Among Us Beyond number 30, to be exact. And those guys, well, they lost their mind over it as well. Well, as luck would have it, Mac heard my pleas on last week's episode, and he resubmitted his story just this week. So without further ado, this is Mac's story from the state of Mississippi. Hey Derek, uh, this is Mac from Mississippi. I was just listening to a podcast and heard that my story didn't come through. Uh, it's too staticky, so I figured I'd record it and I'd email it to you. Uh, that way the quality would be a little bit better than uh, trying to be on a recorded phone line. Like I said, uh, I was out deer hunting. I mean, I was in a kind of stand and I climbed about 30 foot up and I was sitting there. 
I lost my balance and foot and got out from underneath me and I fell. Um, didn't have a safety harness on or anything like that. I, I sure should have and, and I do from this point on. Um, but I fell and uh, shoot, I mean, I was 30 foot up in a tree, so. Anyway, I fell and hit the bottom uh, running limbs. I was in a big oak tree. And I, when I hit the bottom uh, limbs, it was, it's probably 8 to 10 foot off the ground when I hit. And they kind of caught me. But uh, I, I later found out that I had broken my back and I couldn't move. But when I hit, I, I passed out. I blacked out. And... I wore glasses and my glasses fell off. My gun went somewhere. Um, I later found it, but at the time, I, it just fell. Didn't have it with me, wasn't tied or anything. It just fell. So, I get awoken um, off the tree with agonizing pain. And I'm being, like I said, I'm eight to 10 foot off the ground laying on these trees. And I'm 5'10, 320, 325. I mean, I'm not a little guy. But I was being lifted off these limbs um, and supported underneath my neck and, and on my rear end by just these gigantic hands. And my glasses fell off, and without those, man, I am blind. I mean, I'm literally, I can't see a piece of paper three foot from me. I mean, um, I can't see unless it's right up on me. So my glasses fell off, and <sighs> what happened next is... is it's still trolling. I was lowered to the ground by this creature. I guess you're gonna call it a big, you know, Bigfoot Sasquatch, whatever, whatever your deal is on that is. Um, and it was a female, and I say it was a female because the first thing it had a, it had a more, it had a feminine-looking face. Um, it, if that makes sense, it wasn't. I, I hear a lot of people on these podcasts talk about it look like a big silverback gorilla and all that. This, this, this wasn't this wasn't that. It was ape-like, but like the cheekbones and the face was was more slender than you would look. Like I'd say if I looked at you know gorillas online or in the zoo or pictures, the big old wide face and all that. Um, it was it was more of a contoured face, and she was also had breasts, and the breasts were. Um, she was lactating, and I'm sitting there in agony, man, and I'm scared to death. I don't know what is going on, and she takes her breast and puts it in my, my mouth, and she tries to get me to drink milk from her breast, and she squeezes her breast, and a little bit of milk gets in my mouth, and it is disgusting. I'm talking about it is the nastiest thing I've ever tasted, but she, during this time, is being so nurturing. I said in the last call that was staticky that it reminded me now looking back on it, looking at videos of Coco the gorilla with her kittens, how she would nudge them and love on them and, and try to get them close to her. And she could, you know, generally care that she generally could tell that she cared. Um, that's what this gorilla, she was, you know, she was, she was she was worried about me and, and, and I don't I, it's really weird 
while all that was going on, man, I am just, I'm panicking, um, but I can't, I can't move. I mean, I'm literally, my, you know, we went to the, I got took into the hospital later after I was found, after I didn't come home, they, they came out looking for me and I had a broken back. But as she was doing that, back behind her, there was something much, much larger than she was. And it, we have wild boars here in the south, in Mississippi. I live in central Mississippi, right on the uh, Alabama line. And we have wild pig here that they're pretty big. You know, they, they can get 260, 300 pounds for a wild boar. And, you know, that, that can do a lot of damage. But what was behind her, I never saw the full vision of it because I couldn't see that far. But the sound that it made, it was like, <laughs> like it was communicating with her, but it was so deep and so guttural. And it's just like it went through my chest and went all into my body and it was pulsating. And man, when I heard that, I, I knew that I was either something was, something was coming to kill me. I was done for. But she turned around and she would, kind of communicate like do her little noise and then it just got I me mean, it got really aggressive and light and then she kind of pushed me away not really aggressively but kind of like okay i'm not going i'm through and then she got up and she left but man i'm telling you whatever that was behind her i'm glad that he didn't come over there man it, it just sounded like a beast i mean just a beast and it just shook me to my core whenever it made that noise i could feel it in my whole body like it was sitting on my chest and like I said, I, if you left and I, other, whatever was in the woods with her, left too. And uh, I'm, I'm suspecting that was a male. And then my family come and found me because I hadn't come home and it was getting dark and, and things. All this was happening later. When I woke up, it was, well, when, whenever I was lifted, it, it was probably around 5.30, 6. So it was kind of, it was almost dark then, but it was so low lit. And then about, I really don't know time. It was dark and my family came and, and found me. I'm really not sure what time that was. Uh, but I didn't come home. And, uh, you know, they knew where I was going hunting at. That's one thing. And all you hunters out there, if you hunt by yourself, if you got the iPhone app or any Android apps that's got any kind of find me, cut that on or let your family members know where you're going and go where you say you're going. You know, if I would have snuck off somewhere else, you know, I would have laid there probably. No telling what would have happened. If that big thing wouldn't have got me, I mean, we got coyotes down here and bobcats, and if I couldn't move and I was just laying there helplessly, man, ain't no telling what could happen. But And where you harness in a tree, man, that's so important. <laughs> Number one, I, I'm not getting back in the tree, but if I hit, if I do, then, you know, I'm going to have to, you know, you've got, you got to wear a harness if you're up there. But that's my story. Appreciate you, uh, reaching out on there to let me know that it was static and I'm sorry about that. Maybe this will be a little bit better format. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mac. That is a lot to unpack. But let's start with the obvious. Mac might be the only human being alive that knows what Sasquatch milk really tastes like. And also, I can't help but point out it's yet another missed opportunity to collect some DNA. Although I bet that was the last thing on Mac's mind. I can't say that I blame him. It's near impossible to say if Mac may be hallucinated from the pain he experienced, or if he was simply confused by going in and out of consciousness, or if he in fact 
was rescued by some sort of creature. But I can say that over the past 20 minutes, we've heard five separate reports from the same state. And if my ears did not deceive me, we possibly could have picked up a sixth. A quarter way into Mac's call, we can hear something howling. In fact, Mac hears it as well and stops to reference it. Now I pulled that portion of the call and I will loop it three times right here. In a tree, so. What was that? In a tree, so. What was that? In a tree, so. What was that? Now it's entirely possible that Mac knows exactly what it is we're hearing in this recording and simply didn't mention it. Maybe a neighborhood dog or possibly even neighborhood kid. But do you remember JL's call that kicked this whole Mississippi thing off? In her third and final story, she mentioned a long, deep howl emanating from the swamps of the hospitality state. Is it possible that both JL and Mac heard a coyote or some other known woodland critter? Or is the creature JL and her family heard the same one that appeared in Mac's call? And is it also possible that it's the same creature that seemingly saved Mac's life? Now, there's not much else I can say about this one. It is an epic story, for sure. Mac is believable and offers up details that sound plausible. That is, if a giant, hairy, intelligent species of primate roaming the swamps of the South is something that you can invest in. So thank you again, Mac, for resubmitting. I hope you've fully recovered and are able to get out again. And hopefully this experience hasn't ruined nature for you going forward. Thank you again for the wild ride. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Addie Lloyd and Sarah Carter Hayes. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And that creepy, creepy music you're hearing. Well, that's co.ag. Thank you so much for listening, and until next week. Hi guys. So tonight's secret story comes to us from Jordan in the state of Utah. Hey Derek, my name is Jordan. I uh, love your podcast, huge fan. I've been listening for the past year, <laughs> so I uh, just wanted to get that out of the way. 
I'm actually from a small town in uh, Utah called Roosevelt. It's uh, close to the Colorado border, or about 30 miles away from. Anyway, I work in the oil field, and as I was getting off work tonight, uh, it was around 7 o'clock. It was night. Uh, the sky was dark, and I just happened to look up as I was ending my shift. I drive in water truck, uh, heavy diesel water trucks in the oil field. Um, as I was getting off, I just happened to look up into the night sky toward the west and seeing it looked to me like this straight star formation. And I thought, wow, you don't really see that a lot. And as I started to look closer and really focused in on these, these stars, I noticed that they were actually moving and they were lined up almost perfectly. They were spaced apart, I would say almost, you know, as even as you can get. But yeah, I started to notice that they were, that they were moving. And as I was looking up, there had to be anywhere from about 25 to maybe 50. I'm probably exaggerating because it was pretty crazy. And so I called my wife, who's about, I'd say about a good, you know, five miles away from where I am. I told her to go look outside. She walked outside and said that she could see the lights as well and that they were moving and that they were right above where I was at. Not wanting to be a complete basket case, I, I called a coworker over to come over and look. And he came over and looked. And the first thing that he said was that, wow, I've never seen anything like that. And that I guess he said that he was actually in the Air Force. He took several pictures. I got to get those pictures from him. Once I get them, I'll send them to you. But he took several pictures. But like I said, we, we stood there and watched for about five minutes as these lights continued to move from the west to the east. They were disappearing uh, right above us. And as, as we were watching, he called his wife, who's about 26, 27 miles away from where we are in the next over town. And she said that she could actually see the lights as well and that they were over their house. So... Completely strange. I mean, I don't know what these things could have been. They could have been drones. They could have, you know, they, they were definitely working. They were definitely moving very smoothly and in a very tight formation. They were just a straight line across. So it's actually January 15th, and this event happened around like 7 o'clock, 7 p.m. Uh, at night. So I love the show, man. Thank you so much for your time, and I hope to, hope to talk to you again. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Thank you, Jordan. Now, this may be one of those rare occurrences where I know exactly what it is you saw. You see, back in February of 2018, private space exploration company SpaceX launched a satellite constellation known as Starlink. Now, this is a constellation that consists of thousands of mass-produced small satellites in low Earth orbit. Now, essentially, these things circle the world and provide us with satellite internet. Now, I have received several calls about this very same thing uh, over the past month or so, and every single one of them seems to describe the exact same thing. A string or line of connected dots that streak across the sky. Now, I've went ahead and included a short video link in tonight's show notes. So, Jordan, maybe go take a look at that and see if that's not what you witnessed that evening. Thank you again, Jordan, for submitting that story. Thank you for sticking around to the end of the show. And thank you all for listening. Have a great night.